Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. I'm seeing some folks I haven't seen in a while, and it is great to see you. Uh, I would continue to encourage you. We've, we've been through two years of ups and downs and people here and then gone, and I would just encourage you from time to time, uh, give a, make a call, shoot a text. If there's someone you haven't seen for a while, even if it's for a long while, just let them know that they are loved, that they are missed, and uh, I'm, I'm grateful to have you with us, journeying with us, and uh, all of you at home, you are loved, you are missed, and we continue to pray that God guide us and bless us uh, during this time. If you have your Bible, open up to Exodus 34. We have been in a study in which we've looked at these verses from Exodus every week for the last month or so. These verses, in case you have not heard, are quoted and the concepts are quoted and referenced more than any other verses in Scripture, quoted at other times in Scripture in full or in part different biblical writers and prophets. They keep coming back to the characteristics of God revealed in these verses, these attributes of God. So we continue that study this morning, Exodus 34. And God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, maintaining steadfast love to thousands or the thousandth generation and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. So you may recall it was at the end of December, about a month and a half ago, that a massive snowstorm hit the northwest and things were shutting down and roads were shutting down and this next picture shows one of those times, one of those places where a car drove where they didn't need to go or they couldn't get past and so someone was there to help them out and in this particular picture this is on a pass high in the Sierra Nevada mountains, and it is a pass, interestingly enough, that was, uh, used to be an old stagecoach road during the gold rush days. And it is a pass that is a dirt road, and in the winter, really, it's only used for snowmobiles. In fact, it's a pass that is normally closed in the winter. They put a gate up, they lock it. This is not somewhere that you drive. I've even read it's barely passable in the summer when the weather is perfect. But the person that was driving this vehicle didn't know that. And they got to a place where it was a dead end and they were going to have to turn around. It's in the middle of a national forest. In fact, it wasn't just this person that didn't know that. Uh, car after car after car ended up on this 
same dirt road, closed road, this road that went high in the Sierra Nevadas that was impassable, they went that way because other major highways around Lake Tahoe were closed due to snow, sometimes 40, 50 miles worth. And they wanted to get where they were trying to go, and the roads that they wanted to go on were closed. So what do you think they did? They type it into the GPS, and Google and Waze gives them an alternate route. And Google and Waze, and Waze is owned by Google, so they're working off some of the same information there kept redirecting people to this road that is a dirt road, an old stagecoach road, a road that is closed in the winter, that is not passable. And so people would keep on driving, and they would go past down trees and down power lines, and they would keep on driving because Google and Waze was telling them to keep on driving. And finally, they got to a point where people in, uh, you know, sort of safety vests were standing there and telling people, you've got to turn around. You can't go that way. And after it was all said and done, people from the California Highway Department said that person after person, when they would get to that turnaround point, would hold up their phone to the person telling them to turn around and point at the map app as if to say, but Google told me I could go this way. Google said I could go this way. It reminds me of a great clip from the TV show The Office. Let me show you just a brief uh, moment here. Let's watch. Make a right turn. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. It means bear right. No. Up there. It said right. It said take a right. No, 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 no. Look. It, it means go up to the right, bear right over the bridge, and hook up with 307. Make a right Maybe turn. Maybe it's a shortcut, Dwight. It said go to the right. It can't mean that. There's what, a lake there. I think there. it knows where it is going. This is the, the lake. machine knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No, it's not yelling. Yelling. There's no road here. Remain calm. I have trained for this. Okay. Exit the window. Here we go. Make a U-turn, if possible. Look out for Legion! Michael! Are you okay? Swim for it! I got you! I got you! Okay, I love Michael's line. He's like, the machine knows, the machine knows where it's going. Now, I will admit, most of the time now, when I need to get somewhere, I just type it in the app. And where the app tells me to go, I go. Although I am one of those annoying people that a lot of time will look at the overview first. I want a little bit of a sense where I'm going. I used to look at a map and figure it out all the time in the past, but so much of the time I just turn the thinking over to Google. And it is a great app, and those apps are amazing, and so many times they are reliable, but they are not without their occasional 
flaws. And the flaw, the problem, isn't only in the programming. Sometimes it is in the people that don't get an overall sense of what's going on. Sometimes it is on us. When we put our trust in places that may not be 100% trustworthy. So we come to this final or this fifth characteristic of God mentioned in Exodus 34. And if you weren't with us last week, last week we were reminded that God is a God of chesed, of steadfast, merciful, great love. In fact, not just a God of love, but abounding in love. But that abounding attaches itself not just to love, but the idea, the characteristic that we're going to look at this morning. And that is God is abounding in fullness. And it's kind of interesting to me that this word comes at the end of the other descriptions. It is, it is as if to say, God is, is not just compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love, but God is going to be faithful to all of those things that he just revealed. God is going to be true to all of those things that he just revealed. God is going to be reliable to all of those things that he just revealed. And I'm giving you a glimpse into the fuller picture of what this word means, this Hebrew word, amet, because it's more than just one idea that's coming forth here. It means that God is faithful, that God will stick with us, that God will not abandon us. So in Psalm 34, David is wrestling with some difficult things that he's going through. In some of the Psalms, we get an idea of what's going on in the background. Psalm 31, we're not clued in. We're just told by David that he's turning to God as a fortress, as a rock, as a refuge. And a lot of times when we read through the Psalms, especially in worship services, we, we stick with the happy Psalms. We stick with the cheerful psalms, but one of the reasons I love the book of Psalms is because it acknowledges that not everything is blue skies and rainbows and sunbeams from heaven. That there are those moments, and we can praise God for that, but we also cry out in our pain, in, in our struggle, we cry out when things are, are difficult when things are falling apart. And so it's in the midst of some serious doubt and some serious wrestling that David offers this famous line, into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. Now I say it's a famous line because someone else quotes this line. Do you remember? It's Jesus on the cross. Into my hands I commit my spirit. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. In fact, in a few weeks we're going to look at some of the things that Jesus says on the cross as we start to move 
toward Easter. And so we're going to circle back to that. But I want you to notice why David says he's willing to entrust his spirit or breath of life, which is also what this word means in Hebrews, in Hebrew, why he's going to entrust it to God. It's because God is abounding in a met. God is faithful. God won't abandon us in our time of need. And this word also means reliable, that we can count on God, we can rely on God, because God will follow through with God's promises. So one of my favorite descriptions of this comes from Paul when he's talking about Jesus in 2 Corinthians 1.20. He says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. I love that line. No matter how many promises God has made, they all find their yes in Jesus. Now, we happen to have a son that makes a lot of requests all the time, always wanting something all the time. And I've also learned that a quick and easy no is not going to suffice. It, it doesn't quench the urge. And so I'm, I've mastered, and parents, you've, you've mastered the art of the maybe. And you say it in a really positive way, right? Well, maybe. We'll see. Oh, yeah. Well, that sounds good. Maybe. Let's, let's talk about that later. I've, I've got to buy some time here. I've got, to, I've got to put you off for a little while. I'm going to give you a maybe. But I love this image for Jesus. Every promise God has made, it finds its yes. It's going to be fulfilled. And I love the way that ends, although it may be confusing to us. Jesus says, or Paul says, because of that, we're able to join in the amen. The amen is spoken to the glory of God. And you're like, well, what in the world does that mean? Well, it, it brings us to another meaning of this word that we often translate as faithful or faithfulness. And that is, met means true or truth or trustworthy. God will be true to his word. God will be true to his nature. God will be true to his promises. You can trust in that. You can count on that. You can depend on that. In fact, the same root word where we get faithful is where we also get the word amen. Amet. Amen. Did you know that when you say Amen. You're saying a little bit of Hebrew. And what you're saying at kind of the core is when you say amen, you're saying, that's true. That's truth. That's trustworthy. That's reliable. That's what we say when we say amen. And of course, the hope that God has 
when God reveals that He is reliable and trustworthy, when He reveals that He is faithful, the hope then is that we will put our faith in God in return. When God reveals that God is trustworthy, that we will put our trust in God. And when God reveals that He is reliable, that we will learn to rely on God and walk with God. And that's what Abraham does, which is why he's celebrated, not just in the Old Testament, but he's held up as a model of faith in the New Testament. Because you may remember that God calls Abraham to some pretty difficult things, to do some pretty difficult things, and to believe some pretty difficult things. In fact, Paul has a pretty funny, bordering on offensive description of Abraham that he says, when God went to Abraham and Sarah and said, you're going to be parents, he said, Abraham at the time was as good as dead. Not a line I would use. I'll let Paul go ahead and use that. He's, he's using that word from a, a procreation standpoint, of course. But what he's saying is they are way past the age of childbearing. But this is what Genesis 15.5 says. God took Abraham outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then God said to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord. And God credited it to Abraham as righteousness. I'm going to trust that you're trustworthy in this really absurd thing you're telling me. I'm going to rely on your reliability in this really difficult thing to even comprehend. I'm going to have faith in your faithfulness when so much around me and within me is telling me to turn and go the other way. So, I want to tell you a story that Henry Nouwen tells. There is a book of collected essays, and Henry Nouwen, a late author and priest, an amazing servant of the Lord, describes in one of these essays how during the last year of his life, he, of course, he wrote it before the last year, but he describes uh, how he was spending, and someone wrote about how he was spending time with people in the circus. And in particular, he befriended some performers who were trapeze artists. And they were in a family called the Flying Road Lays. And so as I read just a little bit of this, I want you to watch some old footage of this family. And I want you to listen as you see them in action. Okay, so the flying roadways were trapeze artists, and when the circus came to town, my friends invited me to see the show. 
And I will never forget how enraptured I became when I first saw them move through the air, flying and catching as elegant dancers. Gradually, the Rodelais and I became good friends. And one day, I was sitting with Rodelais, the leader of the troop, talking about flying. And this is what he said, as a flyer, I must have complete trust in my catcher. The public might think that I'm the great star of the trapeze, but the real star is Joe, my catcher. He was to be there for me with a split-second precision and grab me out of the air as I come to him in the long jump. I asked, how does it work? And he said, the secret is that the flyer does nothing and the catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, I have simply to stretch out my arms and hands and wait for him to catch me and pull me safely over the apron beyond, uh, behind the catch bar. I said, you do nothing? He said, nothing. The worst thing the flyer can do is try to catch the catcher. I'm not supposed to catch Joe. It's Joe's task to catch me. If I grabbed Joe's wrist, I might break them, or he might break mine, and that would be the end for both of us. A flyer must fly, and a catcher must catch, and the flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. This morning, I want you to hear that God is the catcher. And our task of faith, our challenge is to keep taking the leap. And we reach out our hands and we trust that the catcher will catch us. We trust, as we have been told, that we are reaching out to the one who has already reached out and grabbed on to us. We trust that we are then holding on to the one who never lets us go, even in those times when we let go. In fact, that's what Paul says in Romans 3.3. 3. He's talking about God's original covenant people, and yet I think the application uh, continues to us as well. Just because they were and we are unfaithful, does that mean that God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Because even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. Because that's who God is. Abounding in a met. Faithful. Reliable. Trustworthy. True. 
And all God's people said, Amen. And when we did, we said, That's true.